You have completely changed my mind on this, Jim Fan. Yeah, it was definitely not Polly that created Narnia. It was Strawberry. It was Strawberry. That created Narnia. Okay. Welcome to Talking Beasts. From NarniaWeb.com. Where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis. And keep a watchful eye. On the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome to the start of a new season proper of Talking Beast. This is Glum Puddle. And I'm Jim Fan. And this is Rillian. And uh, we are just breezing right through The Magician's Nephew. It's just amazing. These books are just so compelling. You just zip right through them. It's only been, what, seven months or so since we did our last Magician's Nephew episode? So, man, it just pulls you into the story. probably listened to the audiobook. 18 times by the time in the time <laughs> it takes you. I get for the entire Chronicles of Narnia, you could finish 18 times before you get to the end of this podcast series. Who'd have thought? Yeah, you could get through at least a few Narnia books in that time, but here you are. You have to live with your own life decisions. <laughs> I personally really enjoy going through these books really slowly for a change because, yeah, they're not long books, they're brisk reads, and usually the story usually moves pretty quick. And by doing a series of podcasts, you know, discussions about them. It forces you to slow down and catch all these things that you didn't before. Most of them just interesting little throwaway tidbits and some big ones. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there right now. Who really created Narnia? Was it Aslan or was it Polly Plummer? <gasps> Aslan, dun, dun, that's a dumb dun. question. Next. Are you sure, though? <laughs> Are yes. you sure? Next question. 100%. Okay, but we, we should no. make sure, though, um, because now that I've, I... I'm sure. As the producer, having raised the question, we have to <laughs> dip into it. This is the thing that stuck out to me the most in Chapter 8 of The Magician's Nephew, The Fight at the Lamp Post. There's a bunch of other stuff to all get to, but I wanted to start with this question of how Narni was created and why exactly, what caused it to happen, if anything. Quick recap. So... The chapter begins with the witch wreaking havoc on London, including ripping the bar off of a lamppost, which may or may not become important later. I don't know. And then Diggory manages to get a hold of her. Polly puts on her ring and they're trying to get the witch back to the wood between the worlds and ultimately Charn. And oops, they accidentally bring back the cabbie um, and Strawberry the horse, of course, and Uncle Andrew. And somehow or other, not sure exactly how, the entire group still touching each other gets into another pool. And my understanding is that Polly and presumably Diggory too um, think that they are in the Charn pool. And so they put their green rings back on, but oops, actually they were in a totally different pool and they're all drawn into, well, an empty world that soon, very soon becomes Narnia. And I am singling out Polly over Diggory because once they get into the pool, it's Polly that says, greens, you know, put on your green rings, Diggory. And, and so it's her idea. And maybe Diggory, if for all we know, Diggory, maybe he was still like, wait a minute, where's the charm? Oh, uh, Polly says to put on the green rings. Okay, I'm just going to do it. So I'm going to give a little bit more. Um, I'm going to attribute a little bit more of Narnia's creation to Polly over Diggory for that reason. So... They find themselves in an empty world, and which I love that little bit where the witches were at an empty world, and she's even accepting her fate for a moment there. And um, Diggory realizes he has to escape and actually threatens to leave them behind. He actually threatens to leave the cabbie behind um, in order so that they can escape. Which he's apologetic about, but yes. he's like, eh, can't be helped. Yes, but fortunately, at that moment, uh, you know... 
a whole world gets created. And so we don't know what would have happened if what if Aslan hadn't started singing the world into existence at that moment? Would they have just been, would Diggory have left and abandoned Uncle Andrew and the witch and the cabbie and strawberry? And there is a, a horse <laughs> with a, a hand, what's it called? Rillian is. Cabbie. Yes. Rillian has a handsome. A handsome. Is that, oh yeah, handsome. That's what it is. Rillian has a horse and a handsome in front of his webcam right now. For the, the visual component of the podcast that doesn't exist. My wife, like I said, just reorganized the playroom. I have all sorts of toys at my disposal. All the things you need <laughs> to record a podcast. I'm so happy that you're so prepared. Um, <laughs> but uh, so let me just throw it out there. In all seriousness, did the group uh, jumping into that pool somehow result and Narnia being created. Is that what led to it being created in any way? In another way, like what would have happened? Another way, way to put it, what if they had not jumped into that pool? What if they, as they intended, had actually gone to Charn and left the witch there and maybe had possibly been forced to abandon the cabbie and Strawberry and Uncle Andrew as well, um, which would not have made for a very exciting ending to the story, but could have been. It an- would have be a very short series. Could have been a good sitcom, though. <laughs> with uh, the, uh, the cabbie and the witch, Uncle Andrew just stuck there and charmed with nothing to do. Um, but uh, anyway, if that had happened, would Narnia have been created? Yes. You're saying yes. it would have been created anyway. <laughs> of course. Okay. Like still doing his thing. Okay. So I mean, you want like, this is my serious answer? Sure. My, so my serious answer is, I mean, Narnia is going to be created whether or not anyone is there. But obviously... Like Narnia calls to people. And so like they're in the wood between worlds. And yes, Polly's the one who is like, oh, put your green rings on. But Strawberry the horse is the one who's like actually picks the pool. Oh, maybe it was Strawberry the horse who created Narnia. That's a good point. He's just doing what animals does. But I'm just saying it's like it, you know, Narnia call, you know, Aslan calls to you. Narnia calls to you like you just kind of end up being in its way. You have completely changed my mind on this, Jim Fan. Yeah, it was definitely not Polly that created Narnia. It was Strawberry. It was that Strawberry. Created Narnia. Okay. Wow. This is my this is my <laughs> serious answer. Okay, this is a dumb question. Aslang made Narnia. So why did they arrive when they jumped into that pool? Why did they arrive at that particular moment? Well, we're never ex- that's that part of Narnia is never explained. Why time works so differently at different times. Here's my little nerdy response is uh they can't really have arrived any earlier because they have to arrive at the beginning of time if if they're going to arrive at an early point well, they could have arrived, they can't arrive before then sure yeah i agree but they could arrive why not arrive a hundred or a thousand years after narnia's creation sure. they did uh in charn mm-hmm. they arrived thousands of years after the creation of charn mm-hmm. so there's no explanation for why it is why it exists at the time it does. Just like how there's no explanation for when they come back. Spoiler alert. Charn is all dried up. Charn is destroyed by the end of the story. Right. There's no explanation for why Charn is destroyed. Ceases to exist, presumably. Ceases to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't know if it's like the world collapses in on itself or, or like, you know, mm-hmm. Black Hole Nolan style or what. But uh, mm-hmm. um, so as far as why they are when they are, that is not given. Mm-hmm. But I was gonna say yes. They can't. They didn't create it. That was just when Narnia is being made. But could they have caused the creation to occur? Did they? They jump oh. into an empty pool that otherwise might have remained an empty pool. 
but by introducing time into that pool, they caused something that it would have just been nothing forever. I don't see why they'd be intru- the ones introducing time because they're stepping into time. They're not creating time. Could they have been it? But by stepping into an empty world, so they're stepping into okay. not non-time. Did that to them as beings that are in time stepping into that empty world? Did that somehow cause time to start? And then Aslan went, "Oh, I'll create a world now." But if he if they had not, then maybe I don't know. We don't know what would have happened, except for Diggory. A few chapters from now is told what would have happened. But beside the point. Yeah, I think it's more like. (laughs) (laughs) I think what my brilliant idea. I was like, I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, maybe the wood between the worlds like takes you to the beginning or the ends of things and then it, i immediately debunked it because i was like our world is was not at a beginning or an end or is like, it maybe it is well you know, I don't know. I mean, 2024 it's... is coming up fast yeah <laughs> I, well we've had americans anyway the world will end <laughs> well, what do you mean by en- what do you mean by end exactly you know i mean mm-hmm. i mean like like it's the last you know even the last hundred years of our our universe's existence so that's a very short time relatively speaking i'm honestly more tripped out about the time concept in the world wood between the worlds than i am the time concept in narnia at this point sure like they have the wood between the worlds like not having time essentially which is why they want to fall asleep I think. except that charn then ceases to exist <laughs> right well we'll get to that and if you several <laughs> chapters from now we'll get to that um here's a fun theory um not so much theory but idea what if for because you're saying that they jump into the pool, and this makes sense to me. They jump into the pool, and they, of course, you can't arrive before time starts. That doesn't make any sense. So they just, by default, end up at the, the very beginning. If you're going to end at the start at the early end, yeah. Sure. Um, so what if for, say, thousands of years, different people, maybe from Atlantis, for example, have been getting into the wood between the worlds somehow or other and have been jumping into that pool? They would seem it would seem to them like they all arrived at the same time, right? Like they all arrived at the beginning of Narnia. That would be my argument, yes. Uh-huh. So apparently that didn't happen unless they ended up in different points throughout what became Narnia. Maybe they just didn't for some reason, then they just never encountered each other. Anyway, I think it's a really interesting idea. <laughs> then just throwing out Maria, there. You can be in the writer's room for the ex- the expanded universe Narnia series they're going to do. Yeah, that the the, the, the Cabby and Uncle Andrew and which sitcom, which isn't doesn't roll off the tongue that well, but we can come up with a title for it. <laughs> I mean, with 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 the quality of writing that we get in TV shows these days, I'm sure you couldn't do any worse. I really appreciate really appreciate the, the vote of confidence there, Jim Fan. Okay, so uh, that was just a fun. What if I don't actually think that Polly or Strawberry or, or responsible for narnie being created strawberry is an animal so mm-hmm. i mean it, you know if you learn one thing from this podcast I, know that I think the horse right, is an animal. strawberry would be the better bet even though i'm not going to say strawberry made narnia okay well i'll we'll, we'll have to decide which one i actually put in the headline because that would be a pretty good clickbaity headline did, did aslan actually create narnia Oof, strawberry created narnia <laughs> it'd be like it's like the jar jar is the sith lord theory a version of narnia it's, it's exactly like that hey i still low-key believe that i wanted to make sure we got to that right away we settled that question for those of you that were wondering if aslan was really responsible for creating narnia or not uh anything else in this chapter chapter eight of the magician's nephew stand out to you guys i think it's always interesting i don't know the the creation of narnia like the visual description of it 
for some reason, it's never been something that I've always that I've really been able to picture in my head. Um, mm-hmm. So it was interesting to to reread it and actually to pick out some of the points that were actually articulated. You know, like the way that the stars appear, like they don't so cool come come out slowly. They just come out all at once. You like blink, and then suddenly the sky is full of stars, and it's like whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, that I mean, I think like oh man, like how would you adapt that? Like that would be so. Where do you even cool begin looking. trying to turn this into a movie? I agree. Yeah. yeah. I also, I, mean, I will say the the family radio theater did a great job, but they also have that a huge advantage in that they can utilize your imagination. Um, but I think that what always gets me every time, uh, or gets my attention anyway, every time I read it is just the whole concept of the logos, the power of the creating word. You know, whether you're looking at the Genesis account, whether it's John one, one, uh, in the beginning, it was the word. And then the fact that Aslan uses a song to create Narnia. Mm-hmm. There's even a line I was rereading uh, in the Silmarillion. One of the things that the elves thought of in terms of like what differentiated the, the beings that they thought of, right, was language, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why they were stunned to meet the dwarves because they thought that the only ones using language were them and the, the Valar and then everything else is just an animal, right? Mm-hmm. But the language was what set everyone apart the language was what set uh civilization apart which Whereas is why here, uh, aslan makes them talking beasts aslan mm-hmm. makes talking beasts so the the language is there the language is there before the rest of creation mm-hmm. and i'm not i don't have any deep insights into it it's just something that i think a lot about and there's i think a lot to unpack there yeah, and sound is a motif throughout the magician's nephew with uh, the, the hum of the rings and uh the uh, in the wood between the, the world, horrible word. Yep, yeah, the, the horrible word. That's a great example. Uh, in the wood between the worlds, they say you can almost hear the trees drinking up the water. Mm. Uh, in Charn, it's kind of it's it's the absence of sound is one of the things Diggory and Polly notice mm-hmm. immediately how quiet it is. Of course, there's the ringing of the bell, and then Aslan singing singing Narnia into existence. Um, so I think L- Lewis has been easing us into this idea of the uh, the power of sound as we come into Aslan using a song uh, to sing Narnia into existence. Um, and it is just, I think the writing here is so lovely. I want to read kind of the description of Aslan's song here. It was beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful. He could hardly bear it. The horse seemed to like it too. He gave a sort of whinny a horse would give if after years of being a cab horse, it found itself back in the old field where it had played as a foal and saw someone whom it remembered and loved coming across the field to bring it a lump of sugar. And later Lewis writes, the cabbie and the two children had open mouths and shining eyes. They were drinking in the sound, and they looked as if it reminded them of something. Which reminds me of, of, of a few things in this in throughout Narnia. I love uh, in the, the, the magician's book scene in Don Shredder, Lewis uh, Lucy reads the story, and then she can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. Going forward, whenever she hears a good story, it's always um, one that reminds her of the forgotten story in the magician's book. Mm. And. and- Throughout Narnia, I mean, we could probably we can make it even make a list a list of all the things that times where language sound has such power behind the characters. Think about lines of the words of the first time they hear the name Aslan. Mm-hmm. Even going back to the stone table and the writing on the stone table, there's all these and and they're not 
what I love about it is this, they're not cheap spells. You know, it's not some mechanical thing that someone just says. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the first time to hear Aslan's name um, in the line of the witch in the wardrobe. And we got a really interesting post from Elizabeth in the Talking Beats Facebook group. Elizabeth writes, I always think it's interesting how the character's different reactions to Aslan's song kind of parallels the way Lewis describes Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy's reactions when they hear Aslan's name for the first time. Mm. Edmund felt mysterious horror, just like the witch and Uncle Andrew seemed to be experiencing. Peter felt brave and adventurous, similar to how the horse is described as stamping the ground and how you could see that its father had been in battles. And Lucy and Susan's feelings about the start of the summer holidays and the delightful strain of music floating by pretty much fit perfectly with how Polly, Diggory, and the cabbie seem to be feeling. Um, so yeah, it's definitely run through. A lot of these kind of, um, I'd say what we're really getting at here is a lot of these different reactions to Aslan definitely runs through the series where he's on one hand really terrifying and awe-inspiring, but also the sense of joy and excitement you get at the same time which I personally don't really get from any of the Liam Neeson betrayals in the three Narnia movies or the Ronald pickup one for that matter. I just think he's very well done children. I don't really get any of the fear or the awe. I just get, Oh, he seems like kind of a nice lion. So that'd be something I'd love to see. <laughs> yeah. So, not very wild. So Greta Gerwig, if you're listening, that's something I'd like to see in yeah. future adaptations. <laughs> it is, it is a challenge because it's one of those advantages books have because a book can just say, it was the most terrifying thing he'd ever seen. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, I right. guess it was the most yep. terrifying thing he'd ever seen. Right. But I like uh, to see at least I, in it. I get that. I like to see at least an attempt at it. How about that? Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> it was sort of like the little, the lion, the, the Aslan snarl <laughs> at the white witch, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. When she, uh, you know, challenges him on whether he's going to keep his word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what what can we do we're just right whoever's in a big wide world after all mm-hmm. yeah and it it's all i think you have to keep some perspective in that you know in that time a lion is one of the most fearsome awe-inspiring things you could ever imagine to see nowadays we have a lot of things that can invoke such feelings that not that lions don't, are not magnificent in their own way, but we have a bit of a broader perspective. So I think sometimes, you know, I, I have to put myself in, you know, their shoes and be like, if I was literally seeing a lion standing, you know, 300 yards away from me, mm-hmm. I think my reaction, if I were them, would be different than maybe it would be for me now, just because I have other things I could think of that might be a little more scary. But not to say the line's not scary, because it can be. I will say this. My parents, one of my my parents both remember this a lot. I have no memory of it. I was a young child at the zoo, and they said that they heard one of the lions in the cage roar, and they said it was like a real roar. They they Mm. could not believe which is rare isn't it come out of yeah as they usually don't do that they said it was amazing we couldn't believe that that sound was coming from something even you know not that it's tiny but like still that size it just didn't make sense but Mm -hmm. i mean the strange thing here is also again it's like a lion singing so Mm -hmm. you know i I guess i guess you can kind of write your own reaction of like well i can come up with my own reaction for how the characters react because right no one else would ever encounter something like that and then there's how where do you even begin trying to do that description of the song justice in a movie 
And again, you can just imagine. I, right. I can feel like I intuitively know what Lewis means by, you know, it was so beautiful you could hardly bear it. Um, but you can't you can't come up with something that's gonna make right. everyone or even one person maybe like have that reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's where you go more. I feel like you have to go more abstract. Mm-hmm. I, I I agree. Try to feel the the concept as opposed to actually trying to practically make it so i agree i think lewis captures really well just the in the creation of the world just the awe and the excitement and also the fear like that's what it evokes when it talks about you mentioned it jim fan when the stars just appear which what an amazing image to think of all the stars singing it's only been a few times in my life where i managed to really get away from from light pollution and really see the stars Mm -hmm. and just those were like wow kind of awe-inspiring imagine truly zero light pollution which of course is what they're seeing right now um at the beginning of the world and then they start singing i think that is just an incredible incredible idea and they focus on the family you know, you know maybe it is possible because i thought focus on the family did a really nice job with this scene um yeah and their dramatizations and hearing the stars singing is just incredible had a thought occur to me um i think there's a missed opportunity here just it's a little thing but wouldn't it have been, made the plot a little more interesting if they had, if Diggory had lost the rings at this point? So he has no way of getting back to his world. Because we know that Aslan's going to send him back. Any, they, they don't need the rings anymore anyway. So what if, I don't know, they were fighting over the rings or something, and then he dropped them in the ground, and they, they got lost somehow. I think that would have been a really interesting bit of tension to have lingering. Like, how is Diggory going to get back? And ultimately, Aslan would send him back. I see. I feel like that's like the obvious point of tension. Like that feels like something that people would like if they were ad- adapting something into a movie, they would be like, but there has to be stakes. There has to be something yeah. that they're uh that is bringing we need to have the, the, the protagonists fighting against each other because we need more tension no, tension you, tension you don't have to come back to it but if you could oh diggory drop the rings and he gets distracted or something like that but i still feel like that stakes though because if they lose the rings then now they have to find another way and now you have another motive beyond just doing what aslan is asking them to do but then what if they have a big battle to find the rings. I mean, they could. I mean, that you know, now oh, that you mentioned for the it, rings, probably yes. much better. Yeah. Good idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got to find them again because they need them in the last battle as the uh, MacGuffin. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah, that's what they're searching for. Yeah, that's true. They could figure something out, but whatever. No, I, I don't. I, I, I don't. Don't give anybody any ideas. We have a bad track record with this. Yeah, hey, except that the challenge. They're they're not trying. It very quickly pivots. They're not trying to just leave. The goal is for sure. Because right away, leaping, getting a little bit into the next chapter, but uh, Diggory very quickly becomes oriented towards this being a land of youth that can maybe help his mother. So right. then, well, oh, that's leaving, true. Leaving with the rings isn't his goal immediately. But that's a good point, though, to know that. Um, okay, he has the ring, so if he finds a piece of fruit, he could just leave and not tell Aslan about it. That option is on the table. So I guess, I guess, I do want the rings. I take it back. I do want the rings in Diggory's pocket for that reason. See, we brought it You're right, back. Greta. If you were listening, Greta, make sure you heard, listen to the entire podcast because we, <laughs> we always come back around to the correct yes, ideas. We got there you eventually. Know, we come full circle. Before we move on completely from the voice, uh, there's an interesting bit with uh, Uncle Andrew and 
the queen, how they react to it. Let me just read a bit here. Uncle Andrew was not liking the voice. If he could have got away from it by creeping into a rat's hole, he would have done so. But the witch looked as if, in a way, she understood the music better than any of them. Her mouth was shut, her lips were pressed together, and her fists were clenched. Ever since the song began, she had felt that this whole world was filled with a magic different from hers and stronger. She hated it. She would have smashed that whole world or all worlds to pieces if it would only stop singing. <laughs> wow. Um, so who wants to unpack that? Why, why do Uncle Andrew and the Queen hate the song so much? I think for Uncle Andrew, it's more... He's the kind of person that when faced with the reality of reality um and yeah i'm trying no, to no, think of i like that word. i like the reality um, of gosh just reality yeah and also like his you know it kind of tears away the facade and now like the truth of himself and how where he actually stands in the world is revealed mm -hmm. um he just wants to just like make it stop just like oh you know let, let me go back to my willful ignorance of how I am, how important I am in the world and how... He feels so powerful when he's just reading his books in his little study. Right. And as mm -hmm. soon as he's faced with even the ounce of actual adventure and it exposes him for who he is and he is not for that. He just wants to just get away. It, and it's still a kind of willful ignorance where it's like, I don't want to actually understand this. I just don't. I just want to make it stop. Yeah, he, he wants to get away to it by... But by creeping into a rat's hole is how Lewis describes what he wanted to do. He just wanted to go away and feel safe again. Pull your hat over your ears and go, la, 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 I can't hear you. That kind of thing. Yeah, I think that, you know, it. I've heard a lot of people say, even in discussions within Christendom about, well, what, what, is, what would heaven really be like? What is hell really like? They said, well, if you're not oriented towards God, heaven is not pleasurable. The Garden of Eden, perfect example. You know, Adam and Eve are perfectly content initially, but then once they become reoriented and they've fallen, now everything, it's, it's a shameful experience. They're embarrassed. They're trying to hide. The, the experience around them hasn't changed. They've, their hearts have changed. And I think that that's what Lewis is hitting on. Is, is it just the previous chapter where, or the chapter before where it just starts referring to her as the witch? I think then it just, once she reaches our world, it just starts calling her the witch, I think. But for her, everything is going to be antagonistic. Everything inside her, every bone in her body is going to be antagonistic to Aslan, everything that he's about. And uh, Uncle Andrew, I mean, we could debate how bad or mediocre or good or whatever he is. He's obviously not wholly depraved. Like the witch is almost like has no redeeming qualities at all. but uh he certainly doesn't get any kind of pleasure or gratification from this you both have just touched on shame i think a little bit and you know certainly uncle andrew feels he feels very big when he's in his study but when he's actually witnessing the reality the reality of something he feels very small all of a sudden uncle andrew i think just feels shame i think it's a bit like a kid with its with his hand caught in the with his hand in the cookie jar getting caught and realizing like oh i am just a little a little guy and I'm dabbling in things I do not un understand. And when he hears this power, mm -hmm. something actually creating a world, actually taking 
something so powerful it can take nothing and create something, which we don't know how that can happen. But here we are. So apparently it can happen somehow or other. Um, this is is to him. It's just like feeling that small. Yeah, is yeah. not not he, he wants to go back to feeling big. And I think with the queen, it's just fear. I think it's so fascinating. You know, and the the queen talks about this, that, oh, you're not a real magician. You just, you know, you've got everything you know from books. Uh, so the queen is the real thing, whatever that mm-hmm. means. She she's actually uses this magic. It's in her blood, whatever that means. She is very much in this world. So she understands uh, magic way better than anyone else there. And it terrifies her. She knows that she's seeing something incredibly powerful. The witch has destroyed worlds and cities. She's hearing something that is creating a world. Oh, that's an interesting dichotomy. I hadn't thought of it quite that way. Anyone can, can destroy something. That's easy. Um, she's hearing something that can actually cr- t- create something from nothing. And I think she can understand that better than... It makes sense to me that she can understand that better than anyone else there. So she is grasping what she's hearing way more than the others. And I think that's that's yeah. really fascinating. You're right. That is There is a very big difference in that the the ability to destroy versus the ability to create the ability to have to bring death to something versus the ability to bring life to something mm-hmm. it's a very big very big difference mm-hmm. yeah death is easy life is hard um that's my thought of the day just tell frankenstein <laughs> <laughs> Um, how do you guys feel about, uh, the cabbie in this chapter? I think this is a really risky decision on Lewis's part to add the most, um, the most high tent, high tension part of act two, really the, the most critical part of the whole story where things are at their craziest, at their craziest and most intense to suddenly introduce some guy and just have him come along and be and during you know really potentially a scary moment where they're in an empty world which is a really terrifying idea and he's like let's just start singing a hymn or (laughs) an m he says um and uh, we must have fallen down one of the diggings or something and oh we're dead oh we might be dead which you know what (laughs) it's all right it's all right as long as you live a decent life it's all right (laughs) it's uh oh wow you're you're reading in the cabin there you go um (laughs) well i know how do you guys feel about this uh kind of 11th hour introduction of just some random guy into the narrative at this point I, i think it's risky but you had to because he comes with strawberry and as we already determined strawberry's the one who created narnia that's so. true it was meant to be <laughs> i mean it's a package but deal. isn't this kind of par for the course there's all kinds of little i want to use the word ludicrous moments where you'll have something big going on and it's like even like like the squirrel in the the council with prince caspian you know and the squirrels uh-huh. you know trying to figure these things out there's all these little moments like that so i don't know i feel like it was just par for the course but i i'm completely with you that it 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 doesn't take me out of the moment it does take me out of the suspense for a bit um i don't know i wonder if it was partly lewis's attempt to just to kind of say to bring it back home and say this is a children's book and i'm gonna add mm-hmm. some levity throughout yeah um because there's not really a lot a whole lot of levity up to i mean you have diggory's mother is dying you have charn is not doesn't really have a lot of levity there uh the what between the worlds uncle andrew can be a real creeper um you have some stuff starting to come in where 
you know, Lewis may or may not have jumped the shark with the, the <laughs> witch riding through London. So there's some moments like that, you know, but I, I'm kind of like, I'd forgotten about the hymn. I'd come like, oh yeah, that's right. This guy just starts singing. And then the kids are kind of going along. Now, there's a it. moment that will just not be in any movie. And it's too not, bad. It's not. Um, you know, songs <laughs> don't have a good track record of making it from books into fantasy movies. I, I think the song is the moment where I go, okay, like Lewis is acknowledging this is kind of silly. And you know, that's why I love it. It's like, you know, it just works for me somehow when they start singing the song. Up to that point, I'm kind of like, why is the cabbie doing here? And then all of a sudden, the absurdity of choosing to sing in that moment. Um, I just love it. And this is more of a, a cultural thing in uh, America. If you read like older books and stuff and in, in, you know, British literature and stuff, a lot of cultures, you, they used to sing a lot more. Americans are not really a culture that just gets together and sings. We're more of the anomaly. We tend to think that's more of the norm. Uh, just to say that there's, I mean, a lot of times people would get together, they'd get around the piano and they would just, or whatever, they just start singing at dinner or, you know, in the evenings or something. So people singing together, that's more, it's just, I think it does seem a little more odd to us in our context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm not saying that that's completely the predicted response if you end up, you know, and like, oh, we're in the bottom of the, sewer or we're dead or let's start singing a hit an M, you know <laughs> i love the cockney accent in the dialogue if you've lived a good life you haven't got much to fear <laughs> and i to kind of bring it back i think like the over like when i think of like what is the overall purpose of like having the cabbie and strawberry there and to me i've always thought it's like well it's easter eggs it's it's so you get the payoff later i mean obviously yeah he's gonna be kept he's gonna become king later so yeah but yeah, and the first talk, you know, the first talking beast and uh -huh. all of that. So it's 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 for the Easter egg factor. I always thought, but I like the the ludicrous explanation better. Well, just the more standard way to do it would be try to introduce those characters earlier in the narr earlier in the narrative somehow, so they don't just ap appear out of nowhere at the end. So I think it's a risky decision by Lewis. So I'm going to pay close attention these next few chapters on kind of. Um, yeah, what I, what I think of the way Lewis does that. I think it's a risky decision. And I'm just going to really... Oh, I agree. There's no way you do it that the film would do it the same way. They'd have like the, the cabbie would deliver something and be brought in like early on in the story, just dropped in briefly and then come back uh -huh. out and come back, you know? Yeah, That's but maybe there's something to be said for, you know what? Like Lewis just picked or Aslan just picked some guy completely randomly, almost literally off the street. To be the king of Narnia, and it could oh, have been, you know, oh, maybe we'll there's something that to that. I don't think he's. I don't think. He, I don't think Aslan picks just some random guy. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get into let, that. Let, let, let's get into. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get, get into that. that in future episodes. A few more things I want to uh, mention. The chapter begins with the crowd mocking the witch, and uh, and it, Lewis writes. Another voice said, three cheers for the Empress of Colney Hatch," and quite a number joined in. Apparently, Colney Hatch is a well-known. This is this comes from uh, Elizabeth in the Talking Bees Facebook group, who apparently got it from the Pints with Jack podcast. But apparently, that's a well-known uh, asylum in London. So they're saying <laughs> okay. three queers for the Empress of some as asylum in London, basically, and, it, and they all start joining in. And fascinating little moment. Lewis writes, a flush of color came into the witch's face and she bowed ever so slightly, but the tears died away into roars of laughter and she saw they'd only been making fun of her. So the witch blushed for a moment. Um, and I think that's a 
fascinating. That's the thing that's so easy to miss when you're caught up in the flow of the narrative. Um, but the witch, she thinks they are, they, she really thinks they are cheering her on. And she's like, oh, she's a little, she actually blushes for a moment and bows like, well, thank you very much. And <laughs> so it's this kind of human, not really human, but you know what I mean? Moment of, 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 of vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably been a really long time since she ever heard anyone actually like cheer for her as opposed to just be completely cowed into submission. Uh-huh. Maybe she's maybe she's never heard that. The movie before. she goes as a flashback. Maybe she's, she's never little, she's, she's like eight year old <laughs> queen queen. Her, girl her little charm, heart uh-huh. of ice was, for was just a tear. Uh-huh. No, it makes you go, man, maybe she just wants to, maybe she just wants to be loved. Maybe she she's not she's not loved. evil. She's just misunderstood. <laughs> but I know there was it's a it, it the re- the whole rest of the book, Jadis is just this machine that is so convinced that the universe exists solely to benefit her. And I find it so terrifying. But man, if you really look carefully, there's that brief moment where it just seemed like, and this is cheesy, but like she just wants to be loved for just a second. She like feels a little bit human. That almost makes her more terrifying. There's a little bit. It's almost like, but like the view of the Joker that he actually is sane is actually scarier than him just being completely insane. So it's almost like for just a, she, mm. the witch shows just mm. a moment of, uh, no, like she's knows what she's doing. She's a human. You know what you mean? You know what I mean? Um, anyway, I thought that was a really fascinating little throwaway moment. Lastly, I will say that no, Strawberry did not create Narnia, but he did help start its government. Because what if Strawberry had not gone into that pool? You know, presumably Aslan would have figured something else out. I mean, well, you know what? The witch would never have been brought to Narnia at all if Strawberry hadn't chosen that pool. Strawberry is thirsty. So it's Strawberry. It could have been. It could have been any pool. Any 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 pool could have been Charn. Um, and witnessed Armageddon. Exactly. Um, it, it's like that the would rat. Have been so in, fascinating. It's like the rat in Avengers <laughs> Endgame that like that, that walks over the control that frees Ant Man, which is what leads <laughs> to the whole rest of the yeah. movie being happened. And so, so, so this this if Strawberry, so Strawberry didn't create Narnia. Straw, Strawberry may have helped doom Narnia to a hundred years of winter by a, a, allowing the witch to uh, to come there. And but and that led to Frank being crowned king, and that's led to the Pevensies. And man, so if, you're it, saying that Narnia is, falls within horseshoe nail theory? I uh, know. What what is that? It's a view of history. It, so there's an old poem: "For want of a nail, a horseshoe is lost. For want of a horseshoe, a rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For want of the message, the battle was lost. For want." of a battle, the kingdom was lost and all for want of a horseshoe nail. And it's this view that you can have these tiny, seemingly insignificant events, butterfly effect that can mm-hmm. butterfly effect mm-hmm. into kingdoms yes. falling and mm-hmm. dogs and cats sleeping together. And you know, the whole nine yards. So yeah. dogs it's and like cats living together. Thirsty. Uh, <laughs> living together. Sorry. Dogs and cats living together. <laughs> um, but no, but because strawberry did quote, the most natural thing in the world. I love that Lewis calls that. He actually says that twice. You know, the witch grabs the bar from the lamppost and it's the most ordinary thing in the world. Strawberry later in the chapter takes a drink and it's the most natural thing in the world. Anyway, um, but I love because if Strawberry had not been thirsty, what would, what would we have had Narnia? You know, <laughs> if he had had a big drink of water just before the greens went on, 
man, who knows what would have happened? The series could have, but we we, we would have had no ser- we would have had no series at all, no Narnia at if all. Wanted, if he had wanted to roll in the dirt instead, they'd have been in Charn. Man, <laughs> it makes me feel bad for Diggory that Aslan makes this whole speech about this is the boy <laughs> that like, did it. No, it should have been this is the horse that did it. Man. Justice for Diggory. You see how much more clearly you understand these books when you have, you know, weeks or months to analyze them in preparation for a podcast episode? Jar Jar Binks was the Dark Lord. I see it now. I see it now. Okay. Let's just end this before we completely uh, overturn more of our beloved mythology. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast. Visit NarniaWeb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment below or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.